Now, guys, what I'd like you to do right now is I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be focused on verse 12 through the end of the chapter, verse 28. And these are Paul's closing remarks. He's got some closing encouragement as well as some other things he wants to share with us. And we're going to finish up 1 Thessalonians today. That's We're not going to be done with our series. Our series is Peace in the Coming Storm. We're looking at both 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. Today we're going to wrap up the first letter. And we've been focusing on living lives that please God. And today we're going to talk about pleasing God with your life. Now, you say, George, I, I don't understand completely. This is my first time listening. You know, when I hear a series that says peace in the coming storm, you know, I'm, I'm expecting something to help guide me through whatever we're facing right now. What, what does this living to please God with my life have to do with being okay in the midst of a coming storm? Well, the reality is, folks, you have to continue on life no matter what happens around you. And God calls you to continue on serving him and being there for him as he works in your life to bring you to the place that you need to be. And so if you're going to have peace in the midst of the coming storm, you need to have a vibrant relationship with him. You need to be thriving in your relationship with him. And that whole aspect of thriving has to do with how you're living. How do you know that, George? Well, it goes back to what we looked at in verse 1. So if you'll notice with me, look at what Paul says in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. Just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Now, I'm going to point out two things here that are very important for you to understand. This is why we're going to talk about this whole issue of pleasing God. First of all, we are called to thrive as believers. Does anybody understand that? I, I, I think there needs to be some sort of clue that we need to grasp in this, that you didn't, you know, the moment you got saved, the moment you realized who Jesus was, you asked him into your life, you said you would follow him, to the moment where you go to be with him, either through death or Jesus coming back to you, there's that time period in between, and a lot of people don't have any concept about what they're supposed to do in that time period. They just think, okay, I'm saved, I'm forgiven, waiting to go to heaven. And because they don't have any concept, they think that they're just supposed to do whatever they want to do because they have forgiveness and they have assurance of later. That is so foreign to the New Testament. That is so foreign to, to the apostles and their teaching about what you should be doing now. There's a lot of things you should be doing now because the reality is, is in the meantime, between the time of your salvation and the time that you go to be with Jesus, he has something for you right now. 
And what he has for you is that he wants you to thrive. Do you understand what I'm saying? He wants you to abound more and more. That's the way the New Testament says it here. To abound more and more. He wants you to thrive. He wants you to be all that you're supposed to be as his child. And the key to that is the second point I want you to see here, and that's this. The key is th to thriving is living to please God. See, if you're going to thrive, the reality is that in order to thrive, you have to have certain things happening in your life to thrive. And what's those certain things? You have to be living in such a way that you are trying to please him with your life. That is the focus of your life. If the focus of your life is pleasing God, you're going to thrive. And I think we understand that because when our focus is not him, when our focus is self-absorbed and whatever we want, we're defeated. We're defeated majorly because we are ensnared by our sins. We do not see God answering our prayers. We question his love for us. It goes on and on and on, the reality of not thriving. But see, that's not what he intended for you and I. Remember, Jesus said in the Gospels, I've come that you may have life and you may have it more abundantly. Those are not just empty words, folks. Jesus wants you to thrive. And remember, He's given you everything you need for that to happen. But so oftentimes we don't even realize the resources that are there for us through the person of the Holy Spirit. But we're going to talk about that today. So as we've been looking at this whole issue of pleasing God with our lives so that we can thrive, when we've gone from chapter 4 up to this point in chapter 5, he's mentioned... Four things so far that have been really important. So in the beginning part of chapter 4, he's mentioned that we please God with our sexual purity. By being pure sexually. And that is so important when you think about the world that we live in right now, a Gentile world where everything is sensualized and sexualized, being pure. Second one, loving each other. Loving other people. Man, that is so important in these days when nobody loves anybody. When there's nothing but anger and hatred. You and the church should be standing out because of your love for one another. And here's the thing. Right now we've got people on two different sides of the world politically. Republicans, Democrats. But in the church that shouldn't even exist. It should be a place where those two can come together and know that they're loved. Love one another. In fact, isn't that what Jesus says? By this shall they know that you are my disciples by your morality code. No, that's not what he said. By this shall you know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. That, that's the reality here. Then the third thing we saw was is that we please God by living in hope. Hope of what? Hope of the resurrection. Hope of the rapture. 
hope that one day, in spite of all that's going on, Jesus will come back for us. And we, like those who have fallen asleep, that is, those who have died in Christ, we will all be raised up at the same time to meet him in the air. And then last time we looked at the fourth area that we please God with our watchfulness, that we're aware of the times, and we live our lives in such a way that is in preparation for his coming. So that brings us to our fifth area today. The fifth area is how you live your life right now. How you live your life right now. And he's going to break that down into two sections. He's going to talk about living our life with regards to the church, how we are with each other in church, and then how you are personally, you as an individual. So here's what we're going to do. Let's look at these verses together. It's a big section. We're going to look at what he says, verses 12 through 28. Now, the last few verses, I just need to remind you, are just his closings. We're not going to examine that, but we are going to examine most of this passage today to see what it's like for you and I to please God with our lives. He writes, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourself and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things, hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. All right, folks, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take these verses. We're actually just going to focus in on uh, verses 12 through 24. The remaining section, verses 25 to 28, are his closing statements there to, to that church. But we're going to focus in on verses 12 to 24 so that we can see what we need to do to please God with our lives. And so when you think about your life, he's breaking your life down into two areas. You with the church, and then you. So let's talk about with the church. Here's the first thing he says when he talks about the church. He says it here in verses 12. And 13, he says this, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. 
and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about if I'm going to please God with my life, especially when it comes to regards to the church, you need to respect the spiritual leaders in your life. Respect the spiritual leaders in your life. Now, I think it's interesting when you look at this verse, your, your first assumption would be, okay, well, he's talking about respect your pastor. Well, yeah, that could be included in this. But I think it's also interesting here that he just doesn't say pastors. I mean, if he needed to be specific, he could say overseers, elders. He could make it that specific, but he doesn't. He, he kind of leaves it open-ended here, which is what I think that you and I need to recognize. He says, those who labor among you, labor among you. That is, those who are doing the work of the ministry. Oh, that's like... That's like a pastor. Well, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. In his day, there wasn't a concept of a full-time ministry like we have it today. You would say, well, Paul was. Well, Paul also worked by vocationally to support himself. But what it's talking about here is that you need to show respect to spiritual leaders. And no matter who you are in this church, you have spiritual leaders in your life besides me as your pastor. It may very well be others in the church who are guiding you spiritually, who encourage you, who come alongside of you, who help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. There could be others in the church that you see are doing ministry in other ways, helping the poor, helping those who are in need, being an encouragement there. You are to respect those people. We're not just talking about offices in a church, Sunday school, treasurer, church clerk. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people who are spiritual leaders. And when you say that, listen to me, we're not just talking about men either. We're talking about men, about men and women. Because these spiritual leaders in our lives are not just men. They can be very well women. And you are to respect them and honor them. In fact, that's really what some texts say here is to honor them. Here in the New King James, it says to recognize them. All of it has the same point of respecting them. Respecting them. Here's the other thing he points out about you and I in church. And that is that we need to patiently approach and work with people where they're at. Wow, what a thing to say for church, right? Patiently approach and work with people where they're at. Look at what he says here. I think this is amazing when you look at it. Verse 14, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. What's he talking about here? He's talking about people connecting in a church. And if you haven't realized it yet, folks, when you think about church, as I'm, as I'm looking out over 
the seats here at the church, and I'm visualizing you being here. We have people here. We're all from different backgrounds. We're at different levels of maturity in our walk with Jesus. Some have their struggles. Some have things that are irritating them. Some are doing right. Some are not doing right. And so we need to work with each other based on where we're at. And he tells us how to do it. Patiently. Patiently. One of the things I, I know that, one of the places I know where we lack patience is church. We're, why do we lack patience at church? We expect everybody to get right and get real immediately. We have no patience for people to, having to work through their stuff. We want them to change immediately. But that's not the way it should be in church. In church, if anything, we should be patient with each other because we're all at the same level. So with that, because we're patient with each other, sometimes what we need to do is what it says here, to warn those who are unruly. Warn them. Hey, you don't want to go down that path. You want to be careful. Here's the other one. Comfort the faint-hearted. Yeah, that needs to happen in church, right? Everything that's going on, people getting beat up in this world by all of the things that are happening and they come to a place and they're just wanting some sort of solace. They're just wanting some sort of encouragement. They don't want to come to church necessarily to get beat up. They want to come to church to be encouraged and they need someone to comfort them. What better place than a church where we patiently work with people where they're at? And, and he goes on there and he says, uphold the weak. That's what we're called to do, folks. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. I mean, look, folks, we need to be patient with everyone here. Well, that person's plucking my last nerve. Then grow some more nerves. Literally. Figure it out. If you want to please God with your life, first place you start is in the church and how you deal with other people. Because, look at what it says there, verse 15, but to pursue what is good for both yourself and for all. If all of us were motivated to pursue what is good, it would benefit all of us. You know what I'm saying? So we're not interested in responding with evil to those who've done evil to us. That's what bothers me right now. I'll just be honest with you. In this political, hate-filled climate that we're living in right now, I am bothered by believers who communicate that they would return evil for evil. You don't have a leg biblically to stand on to say that. You might have a leg to stand on based upon whatever your view is in life here in this country, but it's not biblical. Biblical is not rendering evil for evil. A life that pleases God, a life that thrives, doesn't think that way. See, this is what's so important for you and I to understand here. He's calling you and I to be this way in the church, to respect those who are our spiritual leaders, to honor them, and then with everyone else to be patient with them. Just, can I be honest with you, just as they're being patient with you, with me. 
I'm really, to be honest with you, I've thought about that many times. I've thought about it. It's a very humbling thing to realize when you think about how patient people have been because you realize and you know you're not perfect. And that people are being patient with you. So therefore, be patient with them. So that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the whole issue of pleasing God with your life in the church. All right, second area, verse 16 through 22, he talks about with your life, with your life. So let's, let's focus on verse 16 through 18. This is the first section here. Look at what he says. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Whoa, wait a minute. Hold on, George. Wait a minute. You told us before that very few times does God come out and say, this is the will of God. And he's already told us that one time before over in chapter four with regards to the issue of sexual immorality. Now he's bringing that up again. Yes. And usually when we talk about it here in chapter five, we only focus on one area and that's the issue of giving thanks. But he's telling us here, that for you and I to do the will of God, we need to do three things. What are those three things? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. So that brings me to my first point here that you and I need to understand. All of those things are describing a relationship with Jesus. So here's what you need to do. You need to pursue the relationship with Jesus. Pursue the relationship with Jesus. So, like, for instance, rejoice always. How's that possible? How's that possible, George? How's that possible for them? Because they're in the midst of difficult circumstances, persecution that they're going through. Paul comes along and says, rejoice always. How do you do that when the world's crumbling around you? How do you do that? Well, because the source of joy in their life, listen to me, the source of joy in their life, which should be the source of joy in my life and in your life, listen to me, isn't the stuff that we can get in this world or the circumstances of this world, the source of joy for our lives is Jesus. Because we have Jesus. No matter what goes on around us, or what's happening to us, we can have joy. We can have joy. You know, I, I think of, I, I, when I was writing this message, when I was preparing for this message, I thought about this, this whole issue of the relationship with Christ and the whole issue of the joy issue. And my mind went back to 1992 when I was uh, dating Lori. And there was a lot of joy at that time in my life because I had and was developing a relationship with the young lady that would become my wife. There was joy from that relationship because of her, her. And see, this is, this is, why do I bring that up? Because that's really what needs to be taking place 
in your life with your relationship with Jesus. Jesus should be the source of joy in your life. So let's just stop for a moment. Listen, you want to know how real your life is with Jesus? Ask yourself this question. Does he bring joy to you? Whoa. Or is he just simply a set of beliefs? If he's just simply a set of beliefs, there's no joy there. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. You don't get any joy from just a simple set of beliefs. Not a joy that you rejoice in always. Oh, I'm so happy and excited. Two plus two equals four. That doesn't bring you joy. It's just an empty fact. The issue is, is you pursue the relationship with him. And because you're pursuing that relationship with him, joy comes in your life. So therefore, because you have that relationship with him, you are praying always. What do you mean? I'm staying in my room all day long on my knees praying, George? No. No. No, that's not it at all, folks. It's you are in a constant communication with him. He's with you. You're talking with him in your heart and in your mind as you go throughout the week. Sometimes you maybe are talking out loud when you're by yourself or in a room by yourself. But you're talking with him because he's there with you. You know he's there with you always. And with that, you're always giving thanks. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for answering that prayer. Thank you for doing that. Lord, I didn't even ask you. And you provided that. Thanking him. And then notice, that's when he says, this is the will of God. God wants you to have that kind of relationship. That's, that's what thriving is. Thriving the way in God is having a relationship with Him such that your life is marked by joy because of your life, because you're praying and you're talking with Him and you're being thankful. That's thriving, folks. That's pleasing to God that you have that kind of relationship with Him. But He goes on further. And I think he gets right to the heart of the issue about why some of us don't see that in our lives. Because you're probably thinking, yeah, that sounds good, George, but I'm not seeing that right now. Well, there might be a reason. L look with me, verse 19. We're going to focus on verse 19 through 22. He says this, don't quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. What's he talking about here, George? Well, here's the second thing I want you to see about in your life. If you're going to please God with your life, you need, this needs to be evident in your life. Don't suppress the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't suppress the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Now, how do you do that? Sinning? Ignoring him? That's suppressing him. That's quenching him snuffing him out. 
See, that's why I think a lot of us, we don't see that first part of the joy of the continual relationship where we're talking with him and, and we're thankful and, and we're thriving is because when God is leading us in our lives, we're not listening. In fact, that's what he's saying here. Don't quench the spirit. Then he says, don't despise prophecies. Now, what, what is he talking about there, George? I have a word from God. No, no. Prophecies here can be very well God's leading in your life. Where God's Spirit is guiding you and leading you, directing you. And you despise it. You ignore it. You purposely ignore what he's telling you to do. That's what he's talking about here. Don't suppress don't suppress the work of the Spirit. Don't do evil. That's what he's talking about here next. Test all things. Hold fast. Abstain from every form of evil. Why do I abstain? Because it's when you are engaged in the evil that you suppress the Spirit's work in your life. You want to please God? Respond to him as he's leading you through his Spirit. That's the reality. Well, that brings us to verses 23 and 24, where we're going to talk about the enablement. Because you're probably thinking there, saying to yourself, okay, wait a minute now, George, okay. All right, so when we talk about the first four that we've talked about, we talk about the, the whole issue of being sexually pure. We talk about the loving one another. We talk about having our hope in the rapture, the resurrection that is to come, watching for Jesus' return. And now here, how we're supposed to be with each other in church and, and how we're supposed to be in our relationship with Christ. and not, How can we do that? Because I, I, I'd, I'd like to strengthen the wisdom to know how to do that. Well, I need you to understand that God always has us do things that we can't do on our own. Have you not learned that yet? He most always calls you to do something you can't do on your own. You have to rely on him. And the wonderful thing is, is that he enables you. So listen, listen to what Paul says. This is, this is really a blessing that he gives. But from this blessing that he gives to the Thessalonians, it's a blessing for you and I, and it talks about God's enablement. Look at what he says here. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And, may your, and your, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Now, I'm going to point out two things here, and I'm going to share some scriptures with you to help validate what I'm saying. Okay, here's the first one. The Lord sanctifies you completely, and preserves you blameless to the end. So this is what you and I need to recognize, because here's what happens, okay? As we're trying to live our life, one of the things that is very real to us, listen to me, one of the things that's very real to us is we realize how imperfect we are. And what, that's just a nice way of saying it. We realize what scoundrels we are that we sin, that we're weak, 
and we want to do our own thing. And, and, and you're like, if he's counting on me to be what I need to be in order to thrive, it ain't happening. Some of you are already thinking that. Yeah, but he's not counting on you. You need to grasp that. He's not counting on you. He's never counted on you. That's why Paul would say that he sanctifies you completely. He is the one who sanctifies you. He's the one who makes you holy, that separates you to himself. He is the one who is bringing you through that process of sanctification where those things that are wrong are being worked out of your life. And here's the thing. He then preserves you till that time when you go to be with him, whether he come for you in the rapture or you go to be with him because you breathe your last in this world. He preserves you blameless. Blameless. For the end. Isn't, isn't that awesome? And, and one of the ways we know that, it's, it's from the scripture verses that I gave you earlier. 2 Peter, verse 3 of chapter 1. As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. He's given you everything you need. He's done it all for you. Well, then that brings us to the second area that I want you to see, and that's this. Look with me again. Verse 24. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. Listen, you don't need to, again, look at yourself and think, well, how's that going to happen? Because I know me, I know me. Yes, I know you, I know me. God knows you, he knows me. If it was on us, we're in trouble, but it's not on us. Here's what I want you to see. The Lord is faithful to the saved, and he will complete his work in their life. Isn't that awesome? He's faithful. And he's going to complete whatever work he wants to do in your life. How do you know that, George? Well, listen again. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident, Paul says of this, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He had his confidence not in them, the Philippians. He had his confidence in God, who is faithful, who's going to do what he says he's going to do. And isn't that the testimony of Scripture? Psalm 37, David writes, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in them. Though he yet stumble, he will not utterly be cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. I like to say that God's plan for us includes our screw-ups. Because we do screw up, don't we? We do mess up. And his plans already understand that. Because our steps are ordered. And he delights. He takes delight. He takes pleasure in us. Isn't that awesome? 
So here you are, you're wanting to live your life for Jesus, you want to thrive, you want to, you want to please him, and the reality is, is he's given you everything you need to do to be able to do it. So let me just give you one more thought here as we wrap this up. You and I have to choose if we want to thrive or flounder. That, that's really the bottom line here. You and I have to choose. It's up to us. You and I have to be the ones to decide, do I want to thrive? Do I want to have that abundant life that he's calling me to? Or do I just want to keep going on the way that I'm doing right now that's live in misery, defeat, questioning whether or not God loves you? It's up to you. It doesn't have to be that way, folks. And I hope you see that when he calls you to do something, he always gives you the ability to do it. And that's because he's given you the Holy Spirit. So don't suppress his work in your life. And be what he's calling you to be. Let me pray for you.